Hello and welcome to another episode of the Investors Chronicle Extraction podcast in which we speak to executives of London's most exciting natural resources companies. I'm Alex Newman and today I'm pleased to welcome Peter Levine, Chief Executive and Chairman of President Energy, an aim-listed oil and gas producer with interests in Argentina, the US and Paraguay. Listeners and IC readers may also be familiar with Peter's role as founder and executive chairman of Imperial Energy, the former FTSE 250 oil and gas company he sold for $2.4 billion in 2009. Peter, thanks very much for coming on to speak with me. Thank you very much for having me. I I want to start by asking you a slightly leading question. If one of our listeners is thinking of investing in an oil and gas company, what sort of financial and operational attributes should they be looking for and why, without obviously just saying, just invest in present energy? That's an excellent excellent question and I will not talk about present energy. (laughs) I'll talk in the abstract. Okay, well, that's good because, of course, my family office does invest in oil and gas companies. So what do we look for? Well, the first we look for is the management itself. We look for their experience, their background. We don't necessarily look that they've had complete success in everything they've done, but it's how they've done it and the manner in which they've performed. That's the first thing. The second thing is is to what skin they have in the game. That's very important, certainly for me, in terms of how committed are they I go against companies who have promotional directors who have uh, significant options or warrants but don't necessarily put their, their money where their mouth is. So we don't all have the same amount of money to invest but it's all proportionate and all relative and that's very important. Having done that bit of homework and looking at corporate governance then we go down to looking at the actual assets themselves and the ability not simply to make money in terms of the discoveries but how easy it is to monetize. I think 10 years ago I would say that you could write a brick, frankly, on the London Stock Exchange. And people weren't bothered about when things get monetized, but simply whether there was oil in the ground and reserves. I think they lost the plot a lot of the time. Mm. Now I think it's entirely different. Now I look at companies and I say, right, I treat this as an industrial company. Is it making money? Is it producing Is it making margins? Can it be monetized quickly? We all can't make money immediately. But the question is, even if there is something which is there, which is enticing and enthralling as to the asset, how easily can it be monetized? And if it can't easily be monetized, how can it be monetized? And over what period and what money does it come in with? Lots of things to unpack there. The first point is giving us a, an, a sense of what kind of oil and gas company President Energy is at the moment, or has been until very recently, and we can maybe come on to the acquisition which you've just announced. Absolutely. Well, again, if I, if I look at it abstractly, I probably need to bend over the table and be spanked a bit, because frankly, we've gone the long way around to doing that, and, and some of the things that I've talked about investment, we've transgressed some of those rules. But certainly coming back to what we're talking about now, President Energy is a company which has real production, which has turnover, which has growth, and it's all about profitable barrels. We're not talking about whether it's 100,000 
10,000. It's whether you make money from those barrels. And that's where President Energy is now firmly rooted to. We've got production. We've got profitable production. We've got good EBITDA and good EBITDA growth. But that's part of the story. We've also got significant exploration. So there's the excitement there, but it's rooted deeply from now on and going forward in a growth story for profitability and positive cash production. It's fair to say, I think that Argentina is the big focus at the moment. And this particularly after your purchase of Chevron's interest in, in several oil producing assets in there, I'm going to say this incorrectly, I'm sure, the Nequin Basin. And that's added something like 1,200 barrels a day to your production. Why did you do this deal? And can you give investors or potential investors a sense of why Chevron would be prepared to sell acreage considering it's productive? Okay, if I can do that, can I answer the second part first? Okay, Chevron are a large company. They're concentrating on shale in Argentina. Shale in Argentina is really big news. There's many major companies investing in shale at the moment. So their focus is on shale. This was a very profitable asset for them, but it was coming to the end of its license period. It only had effectively two, two and a half months to run. Therefore, Chevron had a question to answer themselves. Do we continue running it, in which case we've got to renew the license, pay a bonus to the province and make more investment, or do we concentrate our eggs as a big boy into shale? That answer was, we're concentrating on shale, we're going to divest it. So from the big boys' table, we were very happy to get this profitable crumb, as it were. In relative terms for Chevron, it's a crumb, let's be frank about this. But as far as we're concerned, it's a significant stepping stone, which comes on to why we did it. Why we did it was it's a stepping stone in to an address in Argentina, which is the most prolific oil region. It is the region where there is shale. There's no shale here. I don't want to set hairs running. But nevertheless, we're in the right address. We certainly have got a good asset in the north, but that's in the north. It's to some extent the ugly sister. What we wanted to do is get into the real oil prolific region, which is this region. We're getting top dollar for our, for our oil because the Newcan Basin generates $55 currently per barrel for our oil. And it's the the top price that is paid in Argentina for that region. That's the, that's the mandated price, is it? No, it's not mandated, actually. You make a very good point. But it is uh, until the 1st of September, sorry, 1st of October, the price was regulated. Mm. It was always going to end at the end of the year. But the government basically threw a surprise and said, OK, from the 1st of October, it's going to get a market. And that is where it is now. It's market. But there is, we suggest, going to be a flaw The government has intimated this. I can't tell you. I don't think anyone can tell you how they're going to put that floor into practice. But they don't want the oil price to go much below 55. However, there may be a floor, but there's no cap that's been announced. So it will float upwards depending upon the, uh, the, the oil price. So we've come in. We're delighted to be in this region. But I stress it's a platform. It's making money. We... The most important thing in, 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 in agreeing this transaction wasn't actually with Chevron. It's with the province. And we agreed with the province as a reputable operator already in Argentina that we would take it over, that we would make the investments, that we would do the 
the things that an entrepreneurial company would do rather than a large oil company which would be leaving that particular asset. And that is exactly what we're going to do. There's still an entrepreneurial angle to the, the oil majors, in, which you hinted at, which is that they're, they're betting big, it seems seems like, on the vacuum Huerta and the, the shale promise that Argentina has. Uh, do you get a sense that this is or isn't going to be a repeat of what we've seen in, in the US, where you know, we've just got endless negative free cash flow, and that seems to typify US onshore production? Is the equation different, do you think, for, for Argentinian shale? For Argentinian shale, yeah. undoubtedly it's different. And one of the principal reasons it's different is not necessarily the shale. It's excellent quality shale. It's spotty. Shale is not a contiguous thing. There are sweet spots and there are spots which aren't so good. And the, pro- the issue with shale is you've got to continue drilling, drilling and drilling. It is capital intensive. In my view, the shale boom in America is starting to come to an end. But nevertheless, in Argentina, we've got great shale and there's there's a, a great prospectivity there. However, you asked about the difference between America and Argentina. And I would say the major difference in America and Argentina isn't necessarily the quality of the shale per se. It is the cost of labor. Because, as I said, shale is very expensive. It requires deep drilling. It requires long horizontal legs, and in, a, in effect, because of the labor laws in Argentina, it takes costs three times as much effectively to drill a well, a shale well, in Argentina as it would do in America. And that is a singular difference where the old adage of drill, baby, drill mm. is certainly prevalent in America. In Argentina, if they do the same... They've got to watch the economies, and that's why it's absolutely critical in Argentina that they drill on the the sweet spots and they, to some extent, mitigate what is the usual significant decline rate in shale. You mentioned, you know, you've come through quite a tough period last year, and and one of the, I think, the the things which precipitated the cash shortfall and then the equity fundraising was the, I suppose it's a bit of disaster, really, at Dos Pantitas. You are, at least in your most recent uh, interim results, you, you said you were pursuing legal claims against the third parties involved in that drilling. Can you give us any update on that? And, and if not, and if you're bound by the ongoing proceedings not to talk about that, can you give us a sense when you expect that to be resolved by? I think this is going to go on for a long time. We're robust in our views about this. The well itself was the right well to drill at the right time. It failed, I have no doubt about this, it failed through incompetence in our, uh, and this is what i am saying of course m- people may have a different view but nevertheless um this case these cases are in process it's going to take time we have fully accounted for any possible claim against us in our accounts of 2016 so we're covered we've we've got no issues there's only upside for us in the accounts but we are pursuing it uh, i feel um very strongly about it. This isn't an emotional response. Mm. This is a real, realistic, ground floor response to to what happened. And um, it's a very unfortunate it happened. We've learned a lot of lessons. And 
turning from the negative to the positive, we've just completed a work program in our Puesto Guardian field in the north of Argentina with another rig. And that rig has had no days of NPT. We've had no issues with our, with our drilling contractor and everything has worked out perfectly. Our team has meshed well and then we're porting that team to, to Puesto Flores where we've just made the acquisition. So, yes, it's intractable. One doesn't want court cases. You don't want distractions. But frankly... It isn't a major distraction to us. It's going to go on, and whenever it will be, it will be. Okay. Interestingly, when you, you talk about the, the acquisition as well, I notice you account for uh, administrative expenses on a per-barrel basis. Is it fair to say that you'll have the operational gearing effect come in if you're tripling production? Are your, are your cost bases relatively fixed, and so should we expect to see the something like $19, $20 a barrel administrative expenses come right down absolutely right significantly down you're quite right there's only incremental gna and and anyway in any event that gna was mostly covered by our puesto guardian field which is producing so this field on top it is throwing off a million dollars a month free cash positive cash flow um before of course the incremental gna and before capex but we are determined not only to to obviously enhance that but to but in in effect to grow it by way of acquisition as well as organic growth but yes it's just a matter of laying it on the most the 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 important gna feature is that we don't have a london office we don't have any expenses all our expenses are centered around above the shop as it were um, in your interims, you also said that, and just I'm just going to quote here directly, although still early days, the company is pleased with the interest level shown in its Paraguay farm out process, with the next stage being permitting access to the data room. And I mean, that sort of commentary, of course, is quite a tantalising prospect, I think, for investors. But I, I, wish, I suppose we shouldn't forget that this has been quite a slow burning process. And Paraguay was previously the, the main story. Now, I'd say it's it's perhaps secondary to what's going on in Argentina. I mean, what's what's happened recently with Paraguay to put it back into focus? And can you just 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 briefly spell out what Paraguay, the asset, is as well? If I had the same decision to make now as we made back in two thousand and twelve, as to go into Paraguay, I would have ma- I would make the same decision. The answer would be yes. However, would we have spent our money in the same way? Would we have drilled in the same way? The answer is no, we wouldn't. Hindsight is an exact science. It's quite easy to be clever after the event. But the value proposition is there. The compelling reasons are to be there. But now that, of course, we're a producing company and a profitable company and throwing off cash and looking to make acquisitions, we can then say, okay, as you rightly say, it's secondary, but it's a very important secondary. Now, coming back to Paraguay, um, we've done a lot of work. We've done a lot of work since we drilled. We have done G&G work, which includes uh, petrochem work, petrophysical work. We've done remote sensing by satellite. And every piece of information that we have got from that secondary work has given us support to our initial value proposition. So at the moment, as you uh, quite rightly have said, we're looking at that. We are doing a farm out. We are cautiously optimistic about uh, the prospects of, of having this farm out sewn up by H2 2018. We're certainly committed to doing a, to drilling a well by hook or by crook, 
during the course of 2018 in Paraguay. It is not something that we're going to walk away from. And the first preference is, of course, uh, to do a farm out. And if not, by hook or by crook, we'll do it ourselves. I just want to turn to a slightly different uh, topic now, Peter. You're a big sh- shareholder in, in President Energy. Um, I think at last count, it's something over 30% indirectly your your, your holding um, uh, amounts to. I, I can also imagine that for, for retail investors and, and all the investors, your track record with Imperial is a big selling point. I mean, that you sold the company for a, a lot of money. Can you give us a sense of, you know, because oil and gas does involve a lot of... Uh, does involve some luck as well but can you give us a sense of you know what you learned in siberia what you learned in, in russia and the whole imperial process which can translate to what is quite a different business model teamwork and getting the right people uh, having started this conversation by saying you look at people's track record at the end of the day you're only as good as what you do today So Imperial, yes, that was a success. We learned a lot of lessons, teamwork, coming together, a plan, a strategy. And that strategy wasn't to sell the company because I don't believe that if you run a business to sell or say that you're running a business to sell, that's certainly not something that attracts me as an investor. What I'm looking for is making a success out of it. Mm. If you make a success out of it, then you've got optionality, run, divest, or actual sale. So... Um, it's taught, it, it, taught, it teaches one a lot, but I've got to say, and I've been around for a bit, unfortunately, or fortunately, and every day you learn a new trick, and every day you learn something. So past record is fine, but as they say in investments, past performance is no judge for future performance. You're also the executive chairman. I mean, the code says that their preference is for those roles of chairman and chief executive to be divided. Why are you happy for your company to be uh, to have those two roles combined? I'm not. You're not. No, I'm not. <laughs> I don't think it's. I think I agree with them entirely. I think it's it's appro- it's appropriate to separate those roles, and at the right time, those roles will will be separated. Can we expect something on that in the in the next year? Let's see how we go, but step by step. But certainly, it is will be on the agenda. Okay. Um. Just finally, Peter. I mean, uh, in your former role with Imperial Energy, you would have dealt with. Russian energy ministers at a, you know, a high level. The oil market now, this has been the theme of the year, that, that there, it requires cooperation between Russia and OPEC, it seems, to have any, any chance of stabilising the oil price. Can you give us a sense from your history in Russia of how reliable that cutting is likely to be and whether you think cooperation on the Russian side is, is likely to be as strong as if they were in OPEC? I think that there is a, an entire misconception in the West of the level of cooperation on every plane between Russia and the West. I think that's a big mistake. I think it's, and I blame the politicians for that, for a lot of puff and talk relating to Russia is our enemy or anybody else is our enemy or Iran's our enemy or whoever is our enemy. And I think under the surface, people will be surprised at the level of cooperation on every single level. And that includes hydrocarbons as well. Excellent stuff. Peter Levine, Executive Chairman of Present Energy, thanks very much for your time today. To listen to more podcasts from the Investors Chronicle, go to ACAST, iTunes or the Investors Chronicle website. Thanks for listening.